Hey everybody and thanks for coming back to Serial Zombie Mom. Again, I'm your host Tori and today is part four, the final chapter of our death on Marilyn Monroe. So what I'm going to talk about today obviously is going to be the conspiracy theories, everything surrounding her death, the questions surrounding her death. Now the thing is that if I went on to talk about this in, in its entirety and talk about all of the different conspiracies that are out there, I would be going on and on for days on this. Hours and hours of podcasting. So my choice was to just, you know, focus on four or five of the major big conspiracies. Um, the huge things that, you know, a lot of people didn't really know. Um, or that they had heard rumors about and they didn't have any any proof on. So when we talk about the inconsistencies in the autopsy, um, we have many, many questions about what really happened to this Hollywood starlet and who could have been involved if it weren't suicide. Now, there are quite a few theories that surround her death, um, some that are quite a bit far-fetched and others that kind of make some sense uh, or even complete sense. Now, I will say that, you know, I'll bring forth a couple of other stories, other things, um, you know, that have to do with each of these conspiracies um, and some of the people that were involved um, as far as eyewitness accounts and, th and things like that. So, um, you know, some of these things might surprise you. Others may not be a shock at all, including connections with some very influential people throughout the day. Now, again, I'm only going to cover a few of the major conspiracies surrounding her, her death. The first one I think is something that everybody's heard that the Kennedys did it. It was all the Kennedys. Now, I do want to mention at this point that there was a lot going on with the Kennedys as a whole. Um, you know, you've got Ted Kennedy, you've got Bobby, you've got John, you've got um, their dad, Joe, like there was a lot of things going on. They were a very, very, very influential family during that time. So when we look at this theory, there are quite a few things that tend to come out about the Kennedys. Now, no one could guess that just two and a half months after her famous sexy performance of Happy Birthday at John Kennedy's 45th birthday, that she would be dead. Now, John F. Kennedy and his younger brother, who was Attorney General at the time, uh, Robert Kennedy, also known as Bobby. Um, I'm going to talk about him in the sense of Bobby Kennedy, because it's what a lot of people tended to call him. Now, they feature pretty heavily in most of the um, conspiracy theories of, the, of her murder. Um, now, in 2007, there was an Australian filmmaker... Um, by the name of Philippe Mora, who actually discovered a partially redacted FBI document that suggests Bobby Kennedy, um, who was also said to have had an affair with Marilyn, may have been complicit in a plot to induce her suicide. Um, now, we know that she had, an ex uh, had a relationship with John Kennedy that was going on for you know, quite a while before his presidency. Um, and then we even know that there was some point where he, um, or Marilyn had actually sent a letter to Jackie Kennedy stating that she was going to replace her, replace her as first lady. 
Now, I don't know how true that is about that letter, but we I do know that there was a rift between the two ladies um, at one point. And that's part of the reason that Jackie Kennedy was not at that birthday party at Madison Square Garden with uh, John Kennedy for his birthday. Now, <clears throat> we also know that the romance kind of dwindled out at one point and John Kennedy was like, you know what, Bobby, you take care of her. Tell her that it's all over. And then somehow something started with Bobby. So he's trying to kind of wean her off of John. Um, but I think there was a lot more to it. I mean, she had a private number to the White House she even used a alias name as Miss Green anytime that she called, so he would know that it was her on the other line. So there was a lot going on there that a lot of people had no clue about. But we do know that even John Kennedy, um, or Joe Kennedy, I, I apologize, uh, John's father, had actually, at one point there was some discussion that he may have even paid off Jackie Kennedy to stay with John and not to leave. That, you know what, Marilyn will be out of our hair at some point, you know, and that just, so just stay with him a little bit longer, um, you know, stay on as first lady, do all this stuff, and no one will ever know. So there's a little conspiracy in itself about her being paid to stay with John. Now, I don't doubt that she loved John. I, I believe that she absolutely loved John Kennedy. But I think that there was a lot of threat because we find out that John Kennedy was a bit of a playboy. He, he was a bit of a ladies' man and tended to just have quite a few trysts that um, started to come out, you know, later on after his death. Now, also implicated in her possible you know, induced suicide or her murder, however you want to talk about it. Uh, the Kennedys then brother-in-law and Rat Packer actor Peter Lawford, as we've men mentioned him before, um, seems to be the conspiracy's lead. But in all the research I've done, all the accounts about him, he seems to be kind of like that, you know, mutual party that honestly, um, I think sympathized with Marilyn to an extent. And and in my opinion, I think he was just kind of the mediator and the middle ground there and just happened to be involved. Um I don't I don't think necessarily that he was a lead in this conspiracy. I truly don't. Um you know, kind of those bad circumstances, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time or he just happened to be in in these groups of people. Um, but overall, I've heard from many different places that he actually was a pretty good guy. You know, and we hear that when when she supposedly told him that, you know, say goodbye to the president and say goodbye to Pat and say goodbye to yourself because you're a great guy. You know, there's been a lot of people who have come back and said Peter Lawford was a pretty great guy. Like he... As far as a bad bone in his body, he might have been involved in some things. He might have seen some things. He might have been pulled into different situations. But I don't necessarily, you know, and if anybody finds anything that, you know, says otherwise, please send it to me. I'd be more than happy to look through it all. But as far as from what I've seen, 
he doesn't seem to be, and I won't say that he's not capable. I just want to say that I don't think that, I think he was more friendly to, to her. Now, I do feel that there was some sort of small relationship. There was probably at one point a little bit of a tryst or an affair or something with Marilyn uh, because this was the social circles that they tended to be in. Um, but there's no, you know, I don't have any evidence to corroborate that. Now, also involved in this supposed conspiracy was her psychiatrist, Dr. Ralph Greenson, and her housekeeper, Eunice Murray, who it turns out... And I don't think I've mentioned this before, that she was actually a psychiatric nurse. And she was employed by Marilyn at the rec recommendation of Dr. Greenson. He knew she was a psychiatric nurse. But he was like, you know what, if you go in here and let her hire you as a housekeeper, you can help keep tabs on her. You know, keep an eye on her so when she's acting up, you know, or acting off, you can let me know and and you can be our in-between and help out whenever she's having her moments or whatever. So she wound up being a key piece of this puzzle, whether it was murder, whether it was a, you know, um, overdose or whatever the hell it is, she was a key piece regardless also involved was Marilyn's agent, Pat Newcomb, who was also suspected of having some sort of relationship with Bobby Kennedy. Now, the depressive Marilyn, who had struggled with drug and alcohol, had been known to seek attention by staging suicide attempts. And the documents um, suggest that she had been given the means to do so. The barbiturate... Secondal, um, by the alleged conspiracies, conspirators, um, was given to her at some point to where she was then left to, left to die. Now, another revolving, um, another conspiracy revolving Dr. Greenson comes in later as well, and I'll discuss this at, at the end. Oops, I apologize. At the end of the, um, episode, I apologize for that little bit of, uh, um, issues there. I am having trouble with my editing software, so I'm going to try and get that out of there at some point. Now, um, like I was saying, there is going to be a, um, a conspiracy that actually revolves a lot about Dr. Greenson, and I'll speak about that at the very end of the episode. Now, as many theories have preferred before, the FBI file infers that the alleged plot was carried out to silence her. She had actually revealed affairs with the Kennedy brothers. She had started telling people, whether it be friends, whether it be, you know, the possibility of telling a reporter, which was a huge deal because, um, you know, she had threatened to let this secret out. She was thought to be a liability and supposedly had this little red book that she kept as a journal and she was constantly writing in there. Now, the thing is, is that she'd have all this pillow talk with the Kennedys, you know, John Kennedy telling her little secrets about this, little secrets about that. You know, supposedly she knew about Area 51 before the public did. 
you know, she knew about things about little green men, and I'll talk about some of that stuff later, you know, that she had been told about um, things having to do with Cuba and the Bay of Pigs and all of that surrounding information. So, and there's there's a lot to 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 be brought in there. Now, if I got into, like I said earlier, all of the detail of all of these conspiracies, I could go on for an hour on each one. So I'm going to kind of keep it a little bit more concise. Um, and if you want to hear some more, I'll let you guys know at the end of the episode uh, a couple different places where you can listen to a little bit more about her life, about the conspiracies, about her death, about... A lot of the things that happened there, and this is where I got a lot of my information from. So, um, hopefully, hopefully you guys will, um, you know, enjoy it as much as I did. Now, we do know that it is confirmed, even though Bobby Kennedy denies being in L.A. during this night, he was supposed to be in San Diego. Now, it was confirmed later by flight records. Um, as well as eyewitnesses at her home, that he flew in by helicopter for the day and flew back out from the home of Peter Lawford from his beach house around midnight or so. And we know this because his neighbors were complaining that a helicopter had let off in the middle of the night. And what the hell was it doing out, you know, doing in the very middle of the night? Why were they getting woke up? So, because he wasn't even supposed to be there. Bobby Kennedy was not supposed to be there. But we also know that he had been to Marilyn's house. Now, a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people are, are understanding the fact that, you know, she was upset because he didn't come. And that's the story that everyone led with. But according to eyewitness accounts, he had actually been to her house twice that evening, once in the afternoon with Peter Lawford and once in the evening with two unidentified men. Um, I believe later one of them was noted to be a police officer that was part of his um, security team, I guess it is. But some of the stuff was actually corroborated by recordings from the home. Again, her home was bugged. She even had re like reached out to someone to bug her house for her so that she could say, you know, hey, I think somebody's been bugging me. I want you to bug me too. And then that way, you know, if things get lost, you have a record as well. Now, there are different things where we hear Bobby asking for her little book. And an argument ensues. And we hear Peter Lawford begging her, you know, and begging Bobby, both of you calm down because they wind up in a screaming match. And Peter Lawford says, you know, you guys need to calm down. Let's, you know, do this in a, you know, more subtle way. Like, there's no need to get out of hand, you know, whatever. So this is another thing that makes me think that he was a little more, I'm not going to say innocent, but um, more of just a addition, um, and that I don't think this this had anything to do with him pushing this. I think he was involved in a lot of it. I think he was used as a pawn for a lot of it. Um, 
you know, but he's no longer around to, you know, discuss this. Um, you know, so anyway, second conspiracy I'm going to talk about is the mafia did it. Now, another sensational Bobby Kennedy theory materialized with the allegation of renowned wiretapper Bernard Spindell. He is one of the people who bugged her house. And this was on the orders of union leader Jimmy Hoffa, who has also disappeared without a trace. Now, it could have been him. Or it also could have been Chicago Mafia boss, Sam Giancana. Now we're going to talk a lot, little bit about connections here. Because Sam Giancana was a really good friend of old Blue Eyes, Frank Sinatra. Now a lot of people knew, you know, with his involvement with the Rat Pack, you know, it's a very insinuated thing that they were all, you know, linked to the mob and to the mafia. Um, this was obvious. I mean, Marilyn was meeting all these people. Here she was meeting all these crime bosses and all these, these mafia people. So when Frank Sinatra gives her a poodle, she names him Moff, which is mafia for short. And she's carrying around this little little dog. And she was pulled into this scene. Now, despite reported sightings of Bobby in L.A. and entering her house, Kennedy stated that he was in San Francisco, sorry, not San Diego, San Francisco, on the night of her death. But Spindell claims to have heard him and her fighting that night, as I mentioned in the last theory. He also mentions that this argument was followed by a loud bang, thought to be possibly the moment of her death. However, this doesn't really work with the timeline um, and the fact that he came back with two other men um, you know, and her conversations with other people throughout the night. So, something's a little bit off there. Now, do I believe that, you know, there was something major there? Absolutely. Um, but the recordings were reportedly seized and destroyed in 1966. There's, so, there's no way that we can go back and actually listen and know for, for sure. Now, Giancana seemed to want Monroe, he wanted her dead, okay? Um, or at least this is the theory here. That he wanted her dead, that she had possibly been in some sort of relationship with one of his henchmen, who was a Johnny Roselli. Um, however, this is according to biographer Darwin Porter, the author of Marilyn at Rainbow's End, Sex, Lies, and Murder, and the Great Cover-Up. Now, I have not read this, okay? So, I'm just going to put that out there. He states that she was, quote-unquote, threatening to blow the lid off his operations. The Don is said to have had her over a barrel after coercing, co excuse me, coercing the screen siren's first 
Hollywood contract in return for her seduction of powerful men that the mobster wanted to blackmail. Now, a lot of people had a lot to lose if she spoke out. You know, she was making a lot of dangerous statements, saying that she was going to kind of let this information out. And they feel that, you know, she didn't really realize that she was supposedly playing with the big boys, as Porter said. Um, they all think she got in over her head and that she was in a place where she didn't belong. Now, this is where it comes up that, you know, they thought she was a dumb blonde. However, the Kennedys realized really quickly she was not dumb. She was not dumb at all. She may not have had the, the most um, school, you know, experience, but she was a very smart lady. And she was a very smart business lady. She knew what she needed to do. You play this, this, um, you know, she, she was a freaking actress. You play this role acting as if you don't know what the hell's going on around you. And then she took notes. She wrote all this stuff down, and I think if somebody gets a hold of that little red book, if somebody ever finds that, which I think it's locked up, I think somebody has it, I don't think it was destroyed. It wouldn't surprise me if it's sitting in D.C. somewhere, in the President Collection. It would not surprise me one bit. And if it's not there, I'll tell you the other place later on in the episode that I think it might be. Now, Porter believes that about five mafia hitmen were responsible for her murder in order, uh, on the order of Sam Giancana. They think that he, or that the, the five men used a washcloth drenched in chloroform and then stripped her and gave her a barbiturate enema. Now, if you don't know what an enema is, I mean, most people should, but it's like, when you insert a tube into the rectum and flush with different liquids to wash everything out, t technically. Now, sometimes, and in this, this day and age, enemas were pretty popular, especially, you know, throughout the, um, you know, elites as a cleansing, um, as an easy way to administer some medications and, and different things because... In reality, your rectum and the large intestines actually um, soak up a lot more nutrients than you would think. So some people, you know, you heard about probably 20 years ago, you know, girls getting drunk off a of NyQuil because they're shoving it up their butt. Or they're doing handstands and they're pouring cough syrups and shit into their butt. You know, I was not one of those. I don't you know, condone any of that, but unfortunately, this was something that people would do just to get, you know, a high quicker or to get drunk quicker or, you know, things like that. So, unfortunately, this was something that was common practice. Now, in another twist, Porter po um, posts that it could have also been one of the Kennedys that hired the mob boss to get rid of her. We knew they all ran in similar circles, and we know that she attended Frank Sinatra's home on a few occasions. I mean, hell, they were really good friends. She had had a, uh, a sexual relationship at one point with Sinatra. Uh, I mean, you know, for, for lack of a better term, she was what we would call today is a whore. 
you know, I don't feel that about her at all because of her background and because of her um, experiences when she was young. And, and when you've had a life like that, I mean, how else are you supposed to be? You don't really know how else to be. You haven't been taught how else to be. And everybody who's ever wanted anything out of her always turned it into a sexual thing. So I refuse to use that word for her, um, you know, loosely. Um, you know, I feel, you know, my husband, I was telling him about all that and he was like, yeah, but she was a whore. And I'm like, no, not really, <laughs> you know, and, and I think when people really understand, you know, kind of what she was put through and when that's the only thing that you know to use and how to use yourself, um, to get what you want, then you do what you got to do. So knowing this, she was actually invited one weekend, a few months before her death, for a little bit of what she thought was going to be R&R. But when she gets there, she realizes, nope, I'm not going to be able to rest. It's, there's a lot of other people here. Sam Giancana, some of his buddies, as well as Bobby and Joe Kennedy. They were brought in for this dinner or whatever. Now, when she returned from that weekend, she spoke to friends about that weekend just being absolutely awful and horrid because everything that could go wrong went wrong. There was no way she was exhausted. She was tired. There was no way that that was an R&R &R weekend. She was set up for a weird weekend. She was invited back again where she was reportedly raped by everyone. A bunch of Giancana's cronies and himself. You know, and that one, Bobby and Joe were not there. Um, you know, but apparently there had been photos taken as well. Now, actor Gianni Russo, who is best known for his role in The Godfather as Carlo Rizzi, spent his young life as an errand boy and associate to crime boss Frank Costello. Now, he was sent to be witness to some of the things that were going on during these types of get-togethers. And he stated on many occasions that whether it was at Sinatra's home, whether they were in the casinos, wherever they were, nine times out of ten, she was either drunk or drugged up and didn't know where the hell she was. He felt really sorry for her and wanted to help her. Had he stepped in, however, he could have been killed because he interfered. You know, he could have been beaten. He could have had a hand lopped off. You know, I mean, who knows? You know, so you'll hear, you know, straight from the horse's mouth in some of the, um, you know, things that I'll tell you about, about later that you guys should listen to on this. It's, he is a great witness on this. Because once he got into acting, once he did The Godfather and got out of, you know, the heaviness of the mafia. I'm not going to say that he's still not connected. He probably, most likely, still is. But he's not afraid anymore. He was a young, dumb, stupid kid. And he didn't know how to, you know, deal with it at that time. What the hell was this young boy going to do? So, he said that on one of these nights, she was barely aware of what was going on, but that she fought. He stated how one of the pictures he actually was able to witness 
because it was sitting on the desk and he remembered it being from that night. And he was it was sitting on someone's desk and it was Giancana as well as a few other men trying to ride her like a freaking horse. Had her on all fours and that that weekend was meant as nothing but an orgy. Okay? She was put in awful sexual positions and brutally, brutally raped. I gotta say, when you find this out, I think she was going to out them as well. I think there was a lot of stuff brought up where she was going to not only lay into the Kennedys, but the Mafia as well. Because if she was screwing around with all of them, you know, and in their inner circle, she was present at a lot of dinners where they discussed things that she probably didn't need to know. But they thought, yeah, she's just arm candy. She's just a pretty little thing we have for our own desires. You know, she's too stupid to understand what's really going on. But they underestimated her. There was a lot going on there. And knowing this, I want to kind of mention, you know, the dinner that they, where Joe and Bobby Kennedy came in. John Kennedy was supposed to have come as well, but they didn't. Apparently, there was a big argument having to do with Cuba. And this is part of the whole Bay of Pigs fiasco. Because Joe Kennedy had an arrangement with the mob that, you know, if they help to secure the presidency for John Kennedy... That he guaranteed, oh, we'll put all your casinos back up and get them going again in Cuba. To make them money again. Because they were losing money. Well, the agreement was, they do this, ensure the presidency, they get all these back open, everybody wins. Well, the problem was, as soon as Kennedy becomes president... He refused to have anything to do with it and said, you know, yeah, that, that agreement was with my father. That was not with me, and I'm not, not upholding that. Within a few years, both John and Bobby would be dead. So, makes you question and wonder some things there. So, get in and do a lot of this research on this, because Joe Kennedy was a bit of a badass back then, too, even though he was an old man. So it makes you really, really think about some of the things that were going on in these days. So now eh, we're going to get into conspiracy number three, that she knew too much about the aliens. Now, this is one of the wilder theories um, and it's discussed in a documentary called Unacknowledged by conspiracy theorist Dr. Stephen Greer. He claims that she was murdered by the CIA because she knew the, the truth about Roswell 
and planned to reveal it all. Now, in this documentary, he produces what he says is a classified CIA memo written two days before her death. In this memo, it is believed that it refers to the storied Roswell UFO crash in New Mexico in 47. And supposedly, JFK is to, said to have told her that he witnessed evidence of things from outer space at a secret airbase. Now, this is where it comes up that she knew about Area 51. I know about those things going out on in the desert. I know about that airbase in the desert. And this was before a lot of people started having questions about Area 51. Now, Greer writes, and this, this is his, his quote, We have a number of smoking gun documents, including a wiretap of Marilyn Monroe on the day before she died, which has never been declassified. She was threatening to hold a press conference to tell the world that Jack Kennedy had told her during pillow talk about having seen debris from an extraterrestrial vehicle at which the document calls a quote-unquote secret airbase. She was murdered for this. Now we do know, however, that she did state what was going on and that she was going to open a can of worms against them and give away secrets from their pillow talk. This could have been a reason she may have been taken out. But, you know, she's not the only one. There were other people around this time asking questions. What about all the people in Roswell? All of the people, you know, near this airbase saying that weird stuff was going on. There's a lot of stuff in these couple of years. Now, do I believe in aliens? Yeah, why not? You know, do I think they're little green men? Eh, probably not. Who knows? Who knows? We're not out there. We don't know. I don't, I'm not going to get into, into all of that. I mean, it's just, it's too much. But, you know, what if? You know, it could be a what if. I think this is a pretty interesting theory. You know, it, I don't think this would be enough to kill her for it. I think this would have been something that would have more likely put her in the nut house. And she's delusional and she's crazy. And I think that initially they would have just said, you know what, commit her ass. So I don't think that's necessarily something that would constitute her being murdered or taken out. Now, I'm going to talk about conspiracy theory number four. This one was kind of interesting to me. And before I had even heard this, I had questions about things like this. Um, you know, the whole what ifs. A lot, a lot of what ifs. What if she's still alive? Well, at this point, she obviously wouldn't be. Most likely, I mean, hell, she'd be, you know, going on almost 100 years old. Um, she was only three years younger than my grandmother. You know, so, I mean, at this point, no. Now, fake death theories are a dime a dozen. 
when it comes to dead stars. You know, we always hear stuff, you know, oh yeah, Elvis is still alive. You know, all these people are still alive. Michael Jackson's still alive. Tupac's still alive. You know, all these different things. We're going to hear those quite a bit with a lot of different celebrities. You know, could it be possible? Eh, who knows? You know, most likely not. I mean, I think it's a little bit far-fetched. But the more iconic they are, the more the theories persist. One man actually claims that her death was staged and her psychiatrist committed her to a mental institution in New Brunswick, Canada. All because of threats on her life. That she told him, you know, all this stuff's going on. I fear for my life. I fear for my safety. Hide me. Now, John Alexander Baker, the author of Marilyn Monroe, Alive in 1984. um, And it says it with a question mark. That's why I said it how I did. Believes Monroe stayed at the institution for approximately 20 years without being recognized. They could have dyed her hair back to a brown. um, You know, maybe undergone different cosmetic surgery. uh, You know, we know that she did have a little bit of work done when she was first discovered. um, And was given a small chin implant as well as just a tiniest rhinoplasty on her nose to enhance her beauty not to really change it because she still looks a lot like Norma Jean it was just the littlest little changes that they were able to put um, onto her now according to the book outline Baker says he was a truck driver at the time and he picked up a hitchhiker in Nova Scotia in 1984 that the woman claimed That she had been a former movie star and that she had sung for the president. So he said, you know, well, she did kind of have a resemblance to Marilyn. And said that she was, and I quote, homeless, frightened, and a paranoid schizophrenic. Well, we all know her mother was a paranoid schizophrenic. And that that was what she always feared, was that she would take over and have the same illness as her mother. Now, it is a hereditary hereditary thing to have. It can, you know, go from mother to daughter a little more prevalently than to a son or whatnot. But we also know that through medical records and stuff that, yeah, she might have been um, depressed. She might have been riddled with anxiety and depression. Um, but a a schizophrenic, she was not. She may have shown signs of things that may have been similar, but she was also heavily medicated and an alcoholic. So she may have been treated as a paranoid schizophrenic, but not necessarily was one. So, she claims at some point in this conversation that she's, she had worked in Hollywood. She was a film star that, and sings for him. And he says, holy crap, this is Marilyn Monroe. 
She's not been dead all these years. What the hell? Now, he admits that the mental state of the woman would make her story pretty hard to believe for the most part. But says, and I quote, I believe 99% that she really was who she claimed to be. At this point, he mentions that when she sang for him, and then when he dropped her off, wherever it was he dropped her, that he was so taken aback by the fact that he had just had Marilyn Monroe in his truck. He really, truly believed that it was her. Why not? You know, there's other theory, uh, other theories around this that, you know, no, she was just tired of, of, you know, being in the limelight. She went off and had a baby. She did that, this, she did that. She went and became a mother, you know, or because that's all she ever wanted. Or, you know, I, I don't know. There's, there's, like I said, a ton of different theories surrounding Marilyn. So, you know, we really don't know. I mean, it was common practice during those days and the years prior that, you know, a starlet would kind of go into hiding if she was pregnant. She'd go to a spa for so long to kind of hide the fact that she was pregnant. You know, we see this in some, um, you know, movies and, and books of the era Stating that, you know, like little mystery movies and things like that about whatever happened to so-and-so. Oh, well, you're the long-lost, you know, daughter of this starlet. Why not? You know, these stories, these theories have to come from some kind of truth. Now, whether it happened with her, eh, don't know. We really don't know. And we, I don't think we'll find out for quite a few years. Now, last conspiracy theory and then I'm done, okay? This is one that's not really spoken of a lot. This is one that is probably a little more likely, and I think this is probably why a lot of people don't necessarily talk about it. But initially, you know, we have this official transcript of what happened the, the night of, that it was 3.30 in the morning when Eunice Murray finds... Um, that the light's still on and she's unresponsive. Like, she didn't come to the door. The door was locked. So at 3.30, she realizes this. By 3.50, um, Dr. Greenson and Dr. Engelberg are both there. Like I said earlier, you know, in an, in the last episode, how in the hell, in 20 minutes, now I know that they all lived kind of close, she did move to this area to be a little closer. However, it still would have taken time. And we ha I have found out there were two lines in the home. Um, so there were absolutely two lines in the home. So that kind of answers that question for me. But the timeline just doesn't match. It doesn't make any sense. It's too quick. In my opinion. Now, the original statement was that it was about midnight that she woke up. 
Now, the LAPD still were not contacted until 4.35. So what happened in those four hours? What happened in those four, four and a half hours before they contacted the LAPD? So there's a lot of questions there. There's a lot of questions wondering what actually happened in those four hours. Um, there's also speculation that she had actually been found in her guest house instead of her bedroom and that she had been moved to her bedroom. Now, when you look at her autopsy photos, when you look at crime scene photos, she is laying stick straight on her belly in that bed. That's not how someone falls asleep. And there's no vomit around her. There was no water nearby. However... In the autopsy photo or the crime scene photos, there's a glass of water on the bedside table, which was not there when the first detective showed up on the scene. Her bedroom that adjoined that room or that her bathroom that adjoined that room didn't have any running water. It was being renovated. And the guy doing all the renovations was Eunice Murray's. Son-in-law, I think it was. So, everybody knew each other. And almost everybody had something to lose if she stayed alive. Conspiracies. Little secrets that people didn't need to know. You know, just there was something there. Now, the theory here, as I get into this a little bit more, is that there was an accidental overdose. This kind of stems into two different things from, from the, the events. Now, it is said that Dr. Engelberg, her physician, and Dr. Greenson either were in this together or it was something that was accidental. Um... They had actually been working over the previous couple of months on minimizing how much she was taking in as far as her medicine, as far as um, the pill intake. You know, she was trying to wean herself from a lot of the barbiturates and, and things that she was taking. You know, they knew she had to get off of some of this stuff. So... She actually was supposedly able to convince Dr. Engelberg that Dr. Greenson said, no, it's okay, you can go ahead and start the Nemutol again. And he had a lot going on at the time, so maybe he didn't turn around and, and verify this before he gave her the prescription. This prescription was written two days before she passed away. So the medications that she was taking, plus the chloral hydrate that was the main thing that she overdosed on, you know, there, there would have been some inconsistencies here as far as dosage and things like that, okay? Unfortunately, this is something that would have made a lot of sense. It was very common practice, again, we're going to talk about the enemas, for people to take, have an enema, something to calm them down, and because it, it would do it quickly, so, I believe a little bit of this, 
but I can't say that I, I take this, you know, fully as the reason for her death. Okay. Um, now she, there was a possibility that, you know, she had taken some different medications and then she was upset about a bunch of the things that were going on and this visit that she had from, um, from Bobby Kennedy, um, and, and everything that was going on there. Okay. So she may have been very, very upset. And Dr. Greenson may have told Eunice Murray to, you know, just give her, give her a chloral hydrate enema. That'll calm her down. She'll be fine in the morning. And then that she unfortunately passed from this, that it was a bit of an overdose because she had already taken these other medications. So this would actually confirm or explain the reason for the swelling and edema and the issues she, she had in her rectum during the autopsy and why there was an issue in there. Okay, so this would explain some of that. And it would also explain why there was nothing in her stomach, why there was only a little bit of brown liquid in her stomach. Now, we also know that Nembutal in those days was a brown liquid. So I think they forced it down her throat and gave it, in, gave it to her rectally um, through the enema. You know, I don't know. They, they sent off that stuff to pathology and unfortunately lost or misplaced or it was disposed of too prematurely. So there's a lot of stuff going on here. All right. Yeah. Years after the fact, we find that there was actually an ambulance sent to the scene and two men, two men, the two, the ambulance driver and the, the man that was with him, the medic that was with him state that she was alive when she, when they got there and they had been working and actually had used a resuscitation device that had just about, like, it was working. And then a man walks in with a doctor's bag and says, stop it, just resume CPR, and I'm going to use this. They thought initially, okay, they're gonna, he's going to give her epinephrine. A lot of um, drug addicts and overdose victims are brought back with a shot of epinephrine straight to the heart. However they do mention that this liquid was brown. Epinephrine is clear. So it wouldn't have been epinephrine. They also know that ne the Nembutal is brown. Now, it could have been that they just got, you know, it mixed up, that he drew it out of a brown vial. Very possible through, through the time, and they could have just been confused because a lot was going on during the time. However, we also know that when he jammed this syringe into her heart, or supposedly jammed the syringe into her heart, that he struggled. This shows us that it would not have been Dr. Engelberg. It more likely was probably Dr. Greenson. Because Dr. Engelberg was a trained physician. He would not have had an issue getting that, that syringe through the intercostal space. But Dr. Greenson, who is not normally one to give injections like this would have struggled. So there's some question there. 
Now we do know that there was no evidence of injection sites, um, needle punctures during the autopsy. However, it is stated that unless they are looking for that, they're not likely to just be like, oh, there's an injection site. You know, it could look like a petechial, you know, um, capillary hemorrhage or something that, you know, we all have on our arms and, and things like that. So, there's nearly no telling as far as that is concerned. But there is the possibility with this theory um, that she was actually in the pool house when this happened because the uh, ambulance driver and medic were able to give the full layout of this pool house. And there was no reason for them to ever have been there. Like, they obviously had never been there any other time. So, how could they have given the exact, exact? And why is it that she was clenching? There's other stories saying she was clenching a note from the White House. There's others, you know, that's saying that was in her other hand and that she had been trying to call the White House. Um, you know, we don't really know. that. Like I said, there's a lot of consp conspiracies around all this. Now, if you want to listen to more and you want to you want to kind of deduce your own idea of what happened, um, or even kind of feed into the in the into the conspiracies yourself, listen to the podcast "The Death of Marilyn Monroe." This group has done two different ones. They've got "The Death of Marilyn Monroe" and then they did one of "The Death of John Bernay Ramsey." Marilyn Monroe's was the first one they did, so I of course, you know, went and listened to that first. Um, really, really well done. There's insertions of actual, um, you know, interviews with her. Um, so you hear her voice. Um, you hear, you know, quotes from some of the things that she, she was involved in. You hear first, uh, accounts of, you know, her first husband, Jimmy Darty. You hear from, you know, Giovanni Russo. You hear, quite a few people speak on her behalf. It's very, very interesting. Definitely one you should listen to. There's also uh, a podcast called Conspiracy Theories. Definitely go listen and search for the Marilyn Monroe um, episodes. There's two episodes, and they actually go into a lot of detail on this. Now, we do know also that in, I believe, the 80s, there was a... Um, interview with Pat Newcomb, and I can't remember what magazine or what venue it was, but they happened to keep rolling, and she's stating this whole time, no, 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 like, you know, no, it was a suicide, or it was accidental, or it was whatever. It was more of a suicide, and then when they stopped recording for that, they kept things rolling, and you caught her saying... I don't know why, after all these years, I've still got to cover this shit up. And they tried to press her about that, and she refused to answer. Really, really interesting stuff. And this is one that is going to be a mystery for many years. Now, I do know... Um, as I mentioned before in another episode with Dr. Greenson, he was on the faculty at USC, uh, or sorry, UCLA, and 
all of his information, all of his files are sealed until 2039. And I believe it's this long that they're sealed for this long to ensure that everyone involved in this case is dead. It's the only reason that it would be so late in the game. So I believe maybe in 2039 we might get some answers of what really happened. When somebody finally opens, it's January 1st of 19, or 2039 actually. So I think that year a lot of shit's going to come to light. And I think there's a good possibility that that might be the other location of her little red book. That maybe he took it to hide it. And that a lot is going to come out. So we'll see in 2039, I guess. But what do you guys think? After listening to these four parts, and I know this was a long one, and I apologize if that would just was too long for you guys, but it's over now. <laughs> and, you know, what do you guys think? What conspiracy do you think sounds most likely? What kind of other information have you heard? Maybe it's something that I didn't mention, but that I had heard. Maybe it was just something that I had to kind of omit for obvious time reasons. But let me know what you think. Email me at serialzombiemoms at gmail.com. Hit me up on the Facebook in the, in the group or even through Instagram. Let me know what you guys think. I really got, hope you guys in, had enjoyed all this as much as, as I did. Um, and next week we'll finally be on to a new brutal case. Um, not really new, but <laughs> an interesting brutal case. So uh, hope you guys enjoyed, like I said, and I will see you on the next one.